Great, you can be seated. Before I step into the preaching of the word, just one family note. So this is very cool, but we now have a bunch of kids who are older than fourth grade, younger than high school, listening to the preaching of the word with us. So we've got Julia and Brandon, or Brandon's a freshman now, but Julia and Brandon and Mia and Abby and Dylan and Colin and Maddie and Sam and Timmy. All right. I want you guys to look at me. We are so glad that you are here with us. Beckett, too. I didn't see you hiding. We know how hard it is to be your age and to figure out how to listen to a sermon. There will be points where you feel like you don't understand what the pastor is saying. There will be points where you get a little bit bored. We want you to fight through that and just set your heart to slowly learn how to do this with us. The other thing is this. It is a huge act of love to me and to the people who are sitting around you that you not get up and leave in the middle of the preaching. So you should go to the bathroom before we start or stick and hold it until we're done but work hard to stay with us for this whole time. We love you. We are for you. This may seem like a weird waste of time, but it's not. The Lord is planting beautiful seeds in your heart, and he's teaching you how to love listening to the word. So we're going to grow with you in that. And I need everybody else in here to be committed with me, to be patient with and love these kids through this. Okay, family announcement over. This is our time for preaching through the Word. We're preaching this whole year through the biblical book of Hebrews. And in this letter, we were saying last week that the writer does two different things over and over and over again. We pitched it to you as if they are two different pitches. And we said the first one is this. It's the fastball. We're calling these gospel glories. And here's the big idea. Jesus is infinitely, immeasurably, incomparably, no contest, it's not even close, better than any of the older covenant realities and any rival savior you could come up with. Boom, boom, boom. That pitch is coming in at 106 miles an hour and it is glorious and forceful. Jesus is better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the promised land, better than the sacrifices, better than the tabernacle, better than the priesthood. He's better. Get ready, because we're going to feel that all year long. Then there's this second thing that he does repeatedly, and we're calling this one the change-up. It's a change of pace, and we're calling these sober warnings. Here's the big idea here. Because Jesus is who he is, we must not bail out on our confession in him or our devotion to him. Okay, all we're doing today is learning how to hear these warnings well. Let's pray and get at it. Father, be gracious to this group of people in particular who are giving attention to your word. You take mustard seeds and you grow giant trees. I believe with all my heart that you can take a small church and do massive work through her. So I pray that we would be pumped up about being 
those kind of mustard seeds that you do something magnificent through. And I do pray that we would pay careful attention to this sermon as we get challenged to pay careful attention to the gospel. Hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen. Okay, five warnings. If you've been here for more than 20 minutes, you would probably know that I played basketball in high school. Very little known fact, however, I also ran cross country. Now you're trying to figure how in the world that worked. We had a teacher, coach, his name was Mr. Sullivan. He did everything that he could to prepare us, help us to win the race. Or with people like me, who were not good cross-country runners, he prepared us to do everything he could that we would at least run the race well and finish the course, everything he could do. That included a whole lot of positive coaching, right? Things like, this is how you stretch. This is how you pace with your teammates. This is how you hydrate before and during the race. He actually walked through the gate. I forget it now, but there's a specific gate that you want to do when you're running cross country. And there was a whole lot of, you can do this, we can do this, let's run this race. Positive. But he also did a whole lot of negative coaching, a lot of warnings. We ran our meets on the city streets of East Boston down toward Winthrop and back. That was our home course. He would give us five warnings before each of the races. Number one, you know this one, right? Don't run too fast to begin. Don't take off running 50 miles an hour as soon as you hear the gun because you're going to be spent 500 yards in. Number two was, but don't get too far behind because you won't be able to catch up. So if you see bobbing heads in the distance, something's wrong. Number three was, when you get down to the beach, be careful. Don't run in the water and don't run on the squishy stand. Get on that hard part of the surface. That's the better part to run in. Number four was, when you're getting close to Winthrop, don't forget to turn around. The course goes left and left and left, and then you run back to East Boston. If you pass Belle Isle Seafood, you know that you have gone way too far. you got to take that left. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And then the last one was always the most sober of all. Remember, guys, the last 300 yards is a hill. And if you're not ready for it, you're going to want to stop running. You're going to want to quit when you're not far from finishing. So when you hit that hill, I'm just warning you, you're going to want to quit Keep running, finish strong. Everyone feel that? This is exactly what Jesus, by his spirit, through the pen of the writer of the book of Hebrews, is doing with us. Over the course of the book, he gives five really intense, very sharp, troubling, sober warnings because he wants you to run the gospel race that he has called you to well, because he wants you to persevere to the end. It's absolutely that you, crucial that you feel this before we begin. The warnings 
in Hebrews are not threats from a disinterested or hostile tyrant who wants to see you fail. The warnings in the book of Hebrews are helps from a good shepherd who wants to see you finish well. Here's why we need to believe that to be true. Nobody in this room likes to hear or heed warnings. Nobody likes it. When someone looks at us and says, I'm warning you right now, if you don't listen to me, things are going to go bad for you. What is our normal response to that kind of a conversation? If you're like me, you want to roll your eyes, all right. You want to wave your hands, stop it. I'm all set. I got this. Maybe you want to bristle. Does anybody in this room really like to be warned? No. Our normal response is, I don't need to hear this. I do this with most warnings in my life. I once ate a blueberry Yoplait yogurt 90 days after the expiration date. (laughs) And I live to tell about it. You know those warning signs at highway exits? 35 miles per hour and the curve. Who wants to listen to that, right? I'm going 70. I got to step on like brakes. I can do this. Then you're up on two wheels looking at your doom over the field to the left. We don't even listen to the stewardess on our flights, do we? How many people, when they start giving you warnings that could save your life, just like roll your eyes and are like, lady, I got this. There's the exit. I know how to swim. Can you put the movie on now? <laughs> this is the way that I tend to respond when someone begins to soberly warn me. I'm sure you're the sh- same. I think there's a list of reasons why we do that. One is because we are proud. We just go, I don't need anybody telling me about anything that's going to hurt me. I got this. I'm strong. I'm smart. I don't need warning labels. I really don't need warning conversations. I think some of us have spent some time in hostile, legalistic churches where the only tone ever was warning and threat, and you've grown to be on the defensive, just like I, I, there's no joy in constantly being warned. I don't want to do warnings anymore. I think for some of us, We are convinced that the person giving us the warning doesn't really know what they're talking about. You know that warning, you can't go swimming for 30 minutes after you eat your lunch? Who's received that warning before? Anybody ever found a nine-year-old face down in a pool somewhere because they ate a hot dog and had some ginger ale and some chips? No, you're going, ah, that's the true nature of warnings. It's some control freaks with low risk tolerance who are issuing warnings, but I don't really have to listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Or, maybe the biggest one, I'm not so sure that the person giving me this warning is for my good. They may be just saying this to hold me back for some joy. When I was seven, eight years old, do you know what I was warned against? You cannot eat Pop Rocks and drink soda at the same time. Okay, who else heard that 
warning in the 80s, right? So like eight years old, I didn't do it. Nine years old, I didn't do it. Then when I was 10, I had some of those apple-y pop rocks, the apple flavor, and a Sprite. It was the greatest mouth experience in the history of my life. Now I got like 24 cavities all at the same time. Nothing bad happened except joy on my palate. Who's giving me this false warning and trying to keep me back from happiness? You may have other things on your list. What I'm saying is your default posture is to say, I don't need warnings. So before I say anything else, I need you to set your heart to actually hear these warnings this year because it is Jesus by his spirit who is issuing them and Jesus knows what he's talking about and no one in the universe is more for your joy, your happiness, your health, your future than Jesus is. And he is going to use every means possible. Promises, yes, but warnings and threats also if it's going to move you toward joy and health. Okay. In the book of Hebrews, just like my coach, we get five sober warnings and they increase in intensity. There is a crescendo effect through the book. We're going to look at the first one in a minute. It's only two verses long. And it warns you against drifting. Feel that? Drifting. When we get to the end of the book of Hebrews and we get the final warning, he is going to warn you against defiantly denying Jesus to his face. You feel that? The warnings have a crescendo effect from don't drift to don't you dare defy Christ to his face. Okay, we're going to take three or four minutes to nerd out for a second because it's important that you know that different Christians and different Christian theologians have heard these warnings differently. And as your pastor, I want to open up those different ways of reading these to you and then tell you, here's how we're going to do this this year in the book of Hebrews. So I hope you have a little bit of nerd in you for the next five minutes. Ready, set, nerd hats, go. Okay, here's the number one way that some people read these warnings. It's called the loss of salvation understanding of them. And the idea here is you could actually lose your salvation. These guys read these warnings in Hebrews and they go, it sounds to me like if you don't persevere well enough to the end, you won't be saved. So it must be possible for authentic believers to fall away and to perish forever. The certainty of God's promises to his people are contingent upon their performance, perseverance. And so these warnings are meant to raise doubts in you of whether or not you will finish the race. So you better stick with Jesus or else you will lose him. That's this view. Analogy. You know how parents have to tell their little toddlers, don't stick the fork inside the electrical outlet. Have you had that conversation with your two-year-old? 
So this view would say, here's the warning. If you stick the fork in the outlet, you will die. The problem here is that that way of reading the warnings is not only technically necessary, not technically necessary from the warnings themselves, but it mutes the clear teaching of Scripture about the firmness of our salvation, about our eternal security, about the perseverance of the saints. It does not hinge upon us being strong enough or good enough for long enough to actually be saved. Your salvation is about Jesus and his person and his work. We can't mute that and exalt this over that, so we've got to find some way to hold these together. And this one wants to mute that to say this. Okay, so then some people jump to a second way of viewing it and say, yes, these warnings are given to legit, real Christians. And yes, there is a possible loss that they are warning against. But he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the rewards that attend your salvation. So this version would be, hey, if you stick the fork in the electrical outlet, it's going to go bad for you. Your hair is going to be wild. In my case, the hair on my legs and my chest will be wild, maybe my eyebrows. You may lose the use of your left arm, like something bad is going to happen, but it's not going to kill you. That's their way of reading these warnings. The problem with this is that it mutes the seriousness of the warnings and the seriousness of apostasy. And if you go too far in this direction, it takes you into the place that says, hey, our response to the gospel, the way that we live, doesn't really matter. And we know that the clear teaching of Scripture says it absolutely does. And any true and genuine faith will be attended by good works and perseverance. And so then there's a third way that people have said this is what's going on. They said it's neither of those things. These are just tests of genuineness. And the big idea is that they expose those who weren't true believers in the first place. In other words, they say, these are addressed to the fakers among us, the tares among the wheat. These warnings are written to those who profess faith in Christ with their mouth, but are disingenuous in that confession. And these warnings serve to prove that they never had faith in the first place. Believers are supposed to read this and go, whew, I am glad that's not me because those warnings helped me to assess myself to see that I am a true believer. To use the fork analogy here, it would be, if you ever actually did stick the fork in the outlet, then it would prove that you weren't a true believer. You see what's happened there? Now, there's beautiful theology under that too, right? Doctrinally, the doctrine of eternal security is absolutely, 100%, beautifully, biblically true. The problem is that these verses are not about that. And you would have to do major editorial work to make them fit nice and neat in that box. They are written to everyone in the church, true and false believers. We're about to see in a second the first warning. He says, we need to watch out 
If anybody was a true believer, it's the guy who wrote the book of Hebrews. And they are prospective, not retrospective. All five of these are looking forward to the race ahead of you, not saying, look backwards and see how you were doing. And so while we are yes on eternal security, we don't want that to mute us from hearing these warnings loud and clear. All right, and then there's a fourth way, last one. This is the hypothetical way. This is the one where they go, here's what's going on. It would be wicked bad, so bad, if you could throw away your salvation. That's what these warnings are trying to help us to feel. Remember who these are written to, Christians who are oscillating between Christianity and Judaism, between the gospel and the law, and the warnings come at them and say, if you ever, ever actually apostatized, that would be the worst thing imaginable, and there would be no coming back. But the emphasis in this view is on the if. In other words, I've gone downstairs to the basement, and I turned off the breaker. And now I'm going to tell you, if you stick a fork in that electric outlet, you're going to die, but the, the power's not really on. It's not really going to happen. I'm just meaning to jolt you as if it was. And the problem here is, as we read this, there is just no hint in the text that he's speaking theoretically or hypothetically. These are real warnings. Okay, you can ask more questions about that later or talk in your gospel community on those things. Here's how we want to hear these warnings together. These warnings are means of grace that drive us toward perseverance. These warnings in this context, in this letter, are not primarily to be heard with your theological seminary discussion in a classroom hat on. We love that hat, but that's not the hat that you wear with these warnings. These warnings come to you on the ground, in real time, in the fight, when you're looking up at the hill and you're thinking, I may not make this. These warnings are for the Christian who is exhausted and weary and sinful and afraid and forgetful And Jesus meets us there and says, right now, today, let's stick with this. Let's stick with this. That's how we want to hear these together. All right, let's just do the two verses and you'll get an example of one of them. In the first chapter of Hebrews, there was no commands at all. It was a dozen consecutive 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Jesus is, Jesus is, Jesus is, Jesus is. Your breath should have been stolen from you last week when we heard about the glories of Christ. Now we get to, because Jesus is who he is, watch out. I've got a warning for you. Here's the words that Patty read to us. Therefore, because Jesus is who he is, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. You see the we in there? Hugely important. These warnings are for everybody. The writer is saying, I love Jesus, and I'm in the same race. 
with the same dangers as you. And I need to hear this warning as much as anyone else. The command, the warning is that we must pay much closer attention. See those words in your Bible? This is actually one giant Greek word in there, which means abundantly, exceedingly necessary, exclamation points, 100% crucial that you do this. Strong word. And what's the warning? That we must pay attention. Pay careful attention. Hear. Be attentive to the word that we have heard, which is the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus, who he is, we must pay super much more careful attention than we tend to, to his gospel word. What's our problem? We all have gospel ADD, gospel ADHD, however many A's and D's and H's they're thrown in that label now. You have it, and I have it. Your entire world, American culture especially, Bostonian iPhone, cable TV culture especially, especially, is built to distract you from the glories of Christ. And you immediately go along with those distractions. I know you do because I do. In two seconds, we listen to a hundred other voices, a hundred other words, a hundred other gospels, and we stop paying attention to Jesus. What does that feel like at first? What's the first warning that you should give to someone that that's their tendency? We're not at defiance yet, right? You don't immediately go set the church on fire and burn all the Bibles. You don't immediately say, I've got new apostles. I'm going to go listen to Madonna or Bruce Springsteen or Fox News or somebody else is my new Lord. I'm out on Jesus. You don't immediately, immediately run to, I was going to sin my head off now. He says, what's the first warning? What's the first sign of this danger? Lest we drift away from it. A couple years ago, we had a gospel community meal at our house. Hopefully, your gospel communities are sharing life and sharing meals together. We were able to buy our house 15 years ago because it's on a steep hill. Nick came over with Christine, and he parked his car at the top of Naples Road and left it. He did not pull the emergency brake. Remember this? He just left his stick shift with no emergency brake. So he comes in, right? We're eating, we're laughing, we're enjoying each other. Kids are in the treehouse shooting hoops in the backyard. Three hours later, Nick comes out to his little black clutch car, and he goes to open the door. It's not there. And he turns his head to the left, and it's about four inches away from Lebanon Street where the cars go by at 50 miles an hour. What had happened? Inch by inch over the course of three hours, the car drifted downhill. And what's the end game of that drifting if it went four more inches? Boom. That's what this text is saying to you. Do you understand that the Christian life is not lived in a lake? It's lived on a river. And your tendency is to get pulled away from Christ. Or to use the analogy better, the Christian life is not a flat hill. I'm going to live on the flattest street in heaven, by the way. But right now we live on a hill. And that is... 
the Christian life and gravity is seeking to pull you away from Jesus. There is no neutral in following Christ. And so what do we need to hear? A warning. A warning. I should have run out and said, Nick, pull the emergency brake, brother, because if not, there's danger. And here's the warning. Pay attention. Don't drift. Or else, there's danger. Here's the last verse. Here's how he says it. Since the message that was delivered by angels proved to be reliable, meaning if the older covenant, which was just provisional, it was just temporary, if that one proved to be so firm and certain that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, meaning you can't just neglect the law of God, You can't just shrug your shoulders in God's face and roll your eyes and go sin and not receive justice for that sin. If that's true of the older covenant, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Everybody feel this? I don't know why, but we tend to think that in the gospel, God just got way cooler and chiller and like totally more relaxed in Jesus. No. The warnings in the new covenant are even more intense than the warnings in the older covenant because Jesus is the final word, been spoken crystal clearly. And the price that was paid to forgive your sin and to redeem you to the Father and to adopt you into the family was not the price of just lambs and goats. It was the blood of the infinitely glorious Son of God. If that is the word that has come to you, and you allow yourself to drift from it, to take it for granted, to neglect it, what what do you think is the end of that road? And so here's the question that this first warning raises with us. Hear it with me. I need to hear it. This is a we sermon. How are you doing in paying close attention to the gospel word? It is not a legalistic thing if you start to blow off church for someone in our church to say, hey, where have you been? What's under that question? It's a concern for your soul. We are warned, you've got to give yourself to hearing the gospel word. It is not a legalistic question for someone to say, hey, what's it look like for you to read your Bible? Like, where are, where are you at right now? What, what's that feel like for you? We are warned, you've got to pay attention, careful attention to the gospel word that has come. The means of God's grace are meant to be exercised. We call that paying very close attention. This is why we encourage you to love your Bible. This is why we encourage you to not only be in worship for this time as often as possible, but to be in a gospel community where the word is open and Jesus' conversations are happening. This is why I stand up here and not with my family most Sundays to sing because I'm trying to model for you that we got to pay attention to the songs and the words and the gospel beneath them. The gospel 
should be your favorite word, your primary word, the one thing that your heart races about the most. But the warning is, we tend to drift from that. Would you hear this warning with me today? Would you please not roll your eyes and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I got this. But just think with me now. Am I paying super careful attention to the grace of God in Christ? This week, was there any rhythm in your life where you said, I got to hear the word right now. I got to think on the mercy of God for me. I have to rehearse the truth of the gospel. Whether that's talking to a friend, listening to Austin Stone on Pandora, reading your Bible, memorizing scripture, whatever it is, if we don't have that as a rhythm, I'm going back to Jesus. I'm hearing it again. I'm hearing it again. Then we're warned it's going to be tough for you to persevere in the fight of the Christian faith. So let's not neglect. Let's pay careful attention. Let's heed that warning and say, Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, we don't want to hear your warnings. Jesus, we don't want to hear your warnings. Spirit, we don't want to hear them. But I pray that Seven Mile Road would love the sober warnings of Scripture and that it would cause us not to panic and not to fear, but to urgently assess and say, am I valuing what is most valuable? Am I listening to what is most to be listened to? Am I celebrating which is most to be celebrated? Would you forgive us for our neglect of the means of grace and the truth of the gospel? Would you set our hearts on fire for this final word that you have spoken in Christ? Our sins forgiven, our future super bright and secure, your spirit with us so that we might persevere. Jesus, thank you that you loved us enough to give us these warnings. May we heed them well, I pray. Amen.